Steve Nelson with us for our training on uh, lifestyle evangelism. I believe you'll be encouraged by that. Um, so Steve, we've known Steve for a long time. Um, I'm not sure exactly how many years it's been because I'm terrible with the number of years. Do you know? Maybe 15 years, 14, 15 years. We'll be first shortly after coming to Athens um, in 98, probably just a year or two after that, met Steve. Um, he's had several of his children graduate from the University of Georgia, and so he would come and help us and do Bible studies and uh, meet people on campus and share Jesus with people and uh, really helped us a lot, um, especially at the beginning of the time. He and his wife, Danelle, after their kids were, um, at least the youngest, were in college, um, moved to the Ukraine and lived there for a few years and helping with uh, church things. He's also been an entrepreneur and it's at a painting business that his son now runs and he's run 16 marathons. So, um, and he uses all of those things to share Jesus with people. So, um, please give him your attention and thank you for being here, Steve. We appreciate you, brother. Thank you, Chet. Love you, man. So, man, it's so encouraging to be with you guys. Um, I just can't help but think of the verse that says that we love because he first loved us. And uh, it's so encouraging to hear you guys talk about what God's doing in your lives and how God's using you, your, your uh, love for people. And uh, it's because I know you are responding to how God has loved you. You know, we love because He first loved us. Jesus demonstrated His love toward us and why we were sinners. You know, Christ died for us. And He is, we're going to talk about uh, more today, just how God is, is a missionary God. Um, you know, he, he left heaven for you. He died on the cross for you. He initiated. He, he uh, went out of His way, so to speak, <laughs> very much out of His way. Um, it was inconvenient but it's because He loved you while you were a sinner. And that's, you know, we're, what we do is we just respond. You know, we, we respond. We say, thank you, Lord. I really appreciate it. I, I praise you. I give you my life. I want to know you. And uh, then we want to love others. It's just because, like I was telling this guy yesterday, Hiro, and he works at the car wash. I said, Hiro, I just want you to have what I have because I like what I have. I, mean, I like Jesus, and He's changed my life. And and he can change your life. I know you love your wife now, Hiro, but boy, you'll love her a whole lot more when you give your life to Christ. So it was very encouraging. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you that uh, we love because you did first love us. Uh, thank you that you didn't uh, just send a bunch of rules down here. And you're, the rules, Lord, you gave the commandments is that uh, we might be aware of our sin and that uh, we might be aware of our problems so that we'd turn to you and so that we would look for a Savior. Thank you, Lord. You desire a relationship with you. Thank you that we have a relationship with you through your Son, and uh, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. We are eternally secure, eternally loved, and we're just blessed, Lord. We praise you with all that is within us today. We thank you, Lord. You put us together with other Christians and your family on on this earth, that we can strive together for the sake of the gospel, Uh, that we're not alone but we have each other for prayer, support, encouragement, correction, reproof. Lord, thank you that we have one another. So we just ask you to lead this time, lead us by your spirit, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I need to stand in the right spot. Of course, you're not doing the recording? We're trying to. Okay. You just go right ahead. You'll have to, they'll catch us halfway. 
Um, I was laughing er earlier when you were pushing it on, and I think Michelle was talking, and it was the thing kept going like that for about a minute or two. And I thought, whoever's going to be watching this is going to. They must have had an earthquake during that <laughs> during that session. So anyway, we're going to talk about lifestyle evangelism. You can go ahead and move on here. Um, God's heart. I think it's very important not to start with us, but to start with God. And several of you all were talking about, you know, let's start. This is God's heart. This is God's desire. What is on, what is on God's heart? Well, God is a, is a missionary uh, in Luke 19.10. And I just, um, I guess you all will have all these, or I can give you this later. If you want to write it down, you can, but hopefully... Uh, anyway, you know, Jesus said, I came. He didn't stay. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. So God is on mission. God, uh, He's still so... You know, as a matter of fact, can I get several of you guys just to read these verses? Um, who wants to read Titus? Just raise your hand. We'll go through. All right. Titus right here. Who wants to read First Peter? All right. And First Timothy chapter... Uh, Two, three through six. All right, good. And then we have Romans 10, 14, and 15. All right, we'll save you for next. <laughs> there are more to come. <laughs> All right, so Titus 3, 4. I love this verse. Who's got you? Are you still going? All right. <laughs> but this is, you know, we're, we're not a project for God. We are precious lives. People, every person, every life matters to God. You know, black lives do matter, white lives matter, yellow lives matter, poor lives matter, rich lives matter. Every life. God is not partial. He has no favorites. We're all his favorites. <laughs> he loves every person. All right, Titus 3 4. Yes. Oh, keep going. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us through his grace of Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by faith, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. She's on a roll, isn't she? <laughs> Way to go. Yeah, well, when the kindness of God our Savior in uh, other places says that... that um, his love for mankind appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And so God, you know, cares about people. Every life, every person is precious to God. And so it's important for us to start there. This is what's on God's heart. God's, what's on God's heart is people. People matter. People are eternal. This old building, someday's going to fall down. And anything we build, and uh, it's temporal. The world is passing away and also it's lusts. Right? It's going to pass. But people are eternal. It's appointed unto men to die once, and after this comes judgment, because we're eternal. Okay, who's... First Peter? God has died for every person. He's made everybody savable. Not everybody knows that. You know, I, did, I had no clue that I wasn't a Christian. I, I just assumed I'm an American. I go to church every now and then. I believe there's a God. I must be a Christian. And I had, God had to show me first that I wasn't a Christian so that I could become one. And there's a lot of people around the world, a lot of people you know, your neighbors and 
Uh, I really want to personalize this. I'm hoping, you know, by the time you leave, I hope that there's specific people, unbelievers, on your mind. I hope there's specific unbelievers that you're asking God to save. I hope there's specific people that you're asking God to use you in their lives. This is not just, you know, a nice talk. I'm hoping to really stir you up. (laughs) The Spirit of God will stir you up to action, stir you up to love and good deeds. You know, just like you were talking earlier, I appreciate that. You're not just saying, well, this is, I want to give you some information. I'm about action, I'm about application, about doing, making a difference. And that's, the, that's what God, He made everybody savable. And, uh, and then First Timothy. Okay, please. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's our God's heart. He gave Himself as a ransom for all. And He's not willing for any to perish, you know, but for all to come to repentance. And He wants to save everybody. And so where does that leave us? God wants to love the lost and to use us, you, me, to tell them how. Romans 10, please. You know, I never thought about this, but feet really aren't naturally that attractive. You know, you don't see you see uh, these Hollywood movies. You see, you know, up you know, here, here are my feet, you know. <laughs> Look at my feet, pictures of their feet. But uh, God says you've got beautiful feet when you are taking the good news of Jesus Christ to those who don't know Him. And how will they believe in Him in whom they've not heard? And I hadn't heard. And there are a lot of people you know who've never heard, they may think they're Christians, they may go to church, they may be religious, or they're just totally, you know, unchurched. But how will they hear? We have something. What a gift. There's no greater thing you can give somebody than how they can have a relationship with God. Because, as we were talking about earlier, as far as people's physical problems, a lot, I mean, how many... People have emotional, mental, physical problems because they don't know Christ or they're not walking in the Spirit. And they have this anxiety and stress and they have these marital problems and conflicts with their children because they don't know Jesus. You have the answer. I have it. We have Christ and we are uh, privileged. We are sent. Okay, go ahead. Uh, This is really... Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I was trying to make the... I guess black would have been better. (laughs) You can't change that, can you? (laughs) All right, I'll just read it to you. How do you respond when you hear missionary stories about people coming to Christ overseas? I mean, I hear these stories that just... Sometimes they just make me feel terrible because I hear, you know, my friend Mikey's over in in Nepal and uh, he and his wife and, you know, all these hundreds and thousands of people becoming Christians. Well, you know, you can either feel terrible, <laughs> jump off a cliff, or you, you could say, well, should I give money? 
you know, I'm getting requests, and this, if you give money, then we can, you know, help more people hear the gospel. And, uh, and we can help people physically. You know, they're helping people these in India and Nepal with getting sewing machines and helping these women have their own businesses and be, you know, meet their needs. It's fantastic. Of course, they're sharing Christ all as part of that. And they're doing all things for the sake of the gospel. So should I give money? Uh, should I go on a short-term mission trip? Uh, should I become a missionary? If you're really, really radical. But that down to the bottom says, is there a fourth option? Number four, yes, there is. Hopefully you can see this one. Yes, you already are a missionary. You don't need to get on an airplane and go overseas to become a missionary because if you know Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. That's what the Bible says. Oops, can't, it's kind of <laughs> down at the bottom there. Anyway, it, in Corinthians it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You are an ambassador. By the way, how many of you all here are sinners? Raise your hand. You know what God says? You didn't raise your hand, did you? You've heard me do that before. Ephesians, hey, how about even the Corinthians? They were really screwed up, weren't they? I mean, this guy was having sex with his mother-in-law, and they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And, and Paul wrote to the, to the sinners who were in Corinth. Did he? What does it say? 1 Corinthians 1. To the saints. But they were really messed up Christians, weren't they? You know, you're a saint. And it's very important that you don't... Think of yourself as a sinner who's trying to become good or be good enough or become a saint. That you are a saint. You are a child of God. You are a missionary. You are an ambassador. You are a priest. That's what God says. Because then you act out of that strength, out of that true position of who... That's the way God sees you. You need to see yourself. That's what Ephesians is all about, who you are in Christ. You've got to know by the grace of God, I am what I am, but by His doing, I'm in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as, writ- as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus came to live in you, imparting His righteousness. So when God looks at you, He sees you as completely, totally holy. That's your position before God. Experientially, we don't always live that way. <laughs> But you need, that's who you are. And you need, in the same way, you need to know that you are a missionary. Because if you think you've got to get on a plane, or you've got to go through some training, or you've got to join some organization to become a missionary, that makes about 90, what, 8, 9% of us as non-missionaries. And what do we do? We just pay for them, we pray for them, and we... And so that puts us all up in the stands while they're down there on the field working hard and killing themselves. They say, you know, and most of the people in the stands need to be down on the field getting some more exercise. We're all... But seriously, I mean, what's the devil love to do? First, he wants to keep you from getting saved, right? He'll do all he can. And then after you become a Christian, what's he want to keep you from doing? Exactly, reproducing. 
He doesn't want to use, he doesn't want to use you. And if he could just have one or two over here doing it and the rest of us not think, oh, I'm not qualified. I'm just a sinner. I'm not a missionary. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not Chet. I'm not on staff. I'm not, a, I'm not a pastor. Then he's doing a great job. And, you know, he's doing it. Satan is doing a great job. I'm not giving him any, cre- any glory or credit for it. I'm just, it's a fact. And we need to wake up to that because you are a missionary. Okay, go ahead. So, what is, and this is not just the evangelist's job, but it really is the job, this is from Ephesians 4. Uh, it really is also the job of the apostle and prophet. Uh, let's just read it. He gave some as apostles to the church these, and prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints to the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. To have a healthy church, we just want to have a few people that love God, (laughs) a few people that are walking in the Spirit, a few people, no, until we all attain to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. The body's healthy only when everybody realizes, I'm needed here. I'm needed by God to be all in. Dabo Sweeney's asked his players <laughs> on the football team, are you all in? Well, God wants to know, are you all in? Are you saying, Lord, here I am, send me. I want to give you my whole life, all my time, all my money, not just Sunday, not a little segment. By the way, it's not what you do that's spiritual. It's who you are. This is all tied into being a saint, a missionary. You may think, well, I'm just changing a diaper, you know, or I'm up here making lunch. But the real work is down there when he's preaching the Bible, you know. When he's real work is when you're actually going over here, getting on that plane or going somewhere and telling those people about Jesus. Or in Acts 1.8, it says that you will be witnesses, not you'll go witnessing, you know you are a witness. You are an evangelist. Just to help you be a good one. I mean, you are a missionary. Let me just help you be a good one. That's why I'm here today. First of all, to get you onto the field and just get you thinking, hey, wow, I'm a witness all the time. And when I'm pumping gas and I'm over there kicking the car and complaining about and then I want to give this guy a testimony track, you know. I'm, you know, whatever I'm... People are watching your life. So it's not what you do that's spiritual, it's who you are. You are a, a witness all the time, 24-7, all the time. People, unbelievers are watching you, they're watching you at work, and uh, they're watching you, how you treat, treat those little kids, and uh, are you kind and gentle? Because they're, they're, they're really wanting to see, is God making a difference in your life? Not are you perfect, but is there joy? Is there peace? Is there love? Is there kindness? Not, and is there humility? Because when you screw up, just say, yeah, I, I had a bad attitude. I'm, I apologize. They want to see that too because they see they, they already know you're not perfect. <laughs> so just be honest. Be real. So what is the evangelist's job? Is his job to go and do all the evangelizing? You know, I could never be a Billy Graham. I could never do all that, you know. Well, God's not asking you to be Billy Graham. He's asking you to be you. 
But the main purpose of the evangelist apostle is to equip the saints to do the work. My job as an evangelist is to equip you, to inspire you, to motivate, get you out on the field and show you can do this. I help people run because I love to run. I have a passion. You know, I'm not sure that was a, really a good thing to let you know I've run 16 marathons because you might think, well, I really think I was a little nuts. You know, <laughs> I might kind of trust him. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I love, but I don't take a new beginning runner. Even my wife started, she didn't run for a couple of years, started back running. And I would go with her, her pace. We would run a quarter of a mile and then we'd walk. Then we'd run a quarter, another quarter of a mile at her pace. If I'd taken her out and said, okay, we're going to run a seven-minute mile pace like I used to run <laughs> over here with, with Eric and Richard, those guys, and some of the guys in Whitney, we'd go out, you know, when I was working over here, I was able to run seven-minute mile pace. I mean, I was struggling to stay up with those guys. But if I took my wife out and said, okay, honey, let's go, and we're going to run a five-mile or, you know, seven-minute mile pace, she'd never run again. She couldn't do it, and she'd hate it. So you have to, you know... Take them step by step. So God wants to take you where you are and help you be more effective. And He don't want to. He don't want you to hate it. He wants you to enjoy the journey, enjoy the growing, and your love for others. So that's my job. Okay, let's go ahead. And the next slide really talks about this: to equip all the saints to do the work of service, to love lost people, and to lead them to Christ. And again, it's not just communicating a message. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but uh, because your life is your greatest message. Uh, to be an example in evangelism, in 1 Peter 5, he's talking to the elders of the church, and he says, prove yourselves to be examples to the flock. Uh, as a leader, as an evangelist, I need to do it. I don't want to tell you, you know, 40 years ago, I shared the gospel with this person. You say, wow, that, all, I have, all my stories are old. I'm not doing it anymore. I just sit in my office and write about it. You know, it's like I used to go fishing a lot 40 years ago, but now I don't fish anymore. I just write books about it. You'd rather hear me tell you a story about, you know, if you like fishing, about some fish I caught last weekend, what I did, and, you know, what I'm learning. Same with evangelism. If I have, if I'm doing it, then you're going to more likely to say, I think I'll listen to what he's saying. So to some degree, not perfect. Example doesn't mean perfection. There are many times where I just man, I should have said something or given a tract and I just, or I didn't have any with me, I wasn't thinking about it, I was distracted, you know, with all these other things, even good things, and I just, or I wasn't kind to that person. Uh, so it's not perfection, but some degree of an example. Number three, to train everyone to reproduce, to imitate Christ's method in, in Mark 3. Um, Jesus is choosing His disciples and it's, it's profound. I, it says, you know, he went up on the mountain to pray, and then he, he chose 12 that they might be with him, and secondly, they might send them out to preach. Why couldn't he do it by proxy? <laughs> Why couldn't he just, you know, send them an email? <laughs> Why couldn't he just give them the book? Here, here's the book on evangelism, and you guys go just follow this and go do it. Why was it so important? They wanted to watch his life. You know, uh, modeling is, there's nothing more powerful than living it and watching how he handles the Pharisees, watching how he handled the Samaritan woman. How he, you know, it wasn't just the same way with every person. 
but they saw His kindness. They saw His love for God's Word, His boldness. They saw how He handled, how He loved people. He really cared. They, and, uh, and then secondly, He sent them out to preach. Could Jesus not preach better? Could He not, you know, evangelize better? Of course, He cast out demons and all that. Yeah, they went out. But what was His purpose? To equip the saints to do the work. He knew He was leaving. He said, it's better that I go. Not only will you get the Spirit, but that you will be able to go out and reach more people. So He empowered them. Not only did He want them to trust Him, but He wanted them to know, I trust you. I'm giving you the whole world. I trust you with this huge responsibility. And how did that make them feel? Wow, I feel so honored. I'm an ambassador for Christ. What a privilege. So I'm going to go home and take a nap. (laughs) No, they felt like, wow, when people trust you, you, don't you respond with trust in them? I mean, he trusts me. I talk, you know, it, it grows. So he said, he sent them out to preach. He knew they would mess up. He knew they you couldn't cast this demon out. They'd argue among themselves, I'm the greatest. He knew they were going to fail right and left. And then it, ultimately at the cross, where were they? <laughs> they all deserted him. I don't know about you, but I would have gotten 12 more. <laughs> Fooey on you guys. I really needed you. I needed you. You didn't have my back. You didn't have anything, you know. I, you know, you were hiding. You were scared. I really needed you. But how did he respond? Unconditional love. Come back into the room. Don't be afraid. Probably don't be afraid that I'm going <laughs> to be angry at you. Don't be afraid that I'm going to let you have it. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And here's what I want you to do. The next 40, year, 40 days, go make disciples of all nations. Okay, let's go ahead. I'm getting ahead. <laughs> We're going to talk about incarnational evangelism. I like this. You can't read it. But is there any way we can get that up a little bit? Can I just turn it? Can I just... I, then I'll be responsible if I break it. <laughs> Let Chet break it. Yeah, just there we go. Perfect. Yeah, we don't need all that at the top. <laughs> Get a broomstick. Anyway, let me go ahead while he's working on it. It says, this is from the message. I really like this. It's John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. It dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And that's what God's done. In you, He's moved into neighborhoods. Right here in this neighborhood where you live. In your apartment complex, Jesus lives there. Incarnational evangelism, as opposed to what we call attractional, where you invite people to a meeting or a program or something at at the church building. Muchas gracias, Señor. Spasiba. That's Russian for thank you. For those of you who are watching. (laughs) Um, But isn't that cool? I love that translation. He moved into the neighborhood. So this is car wash. I was talking to you earlier about Jairo. He works at car wash and along with Mario and Eduardo and these guys. And I've, that's one of my opportunities that God has brought into my life. Just uh, I started off uh, giving these guys some of my honey, sweeten the deal, you know, ah. pun, pun intended. 
and uh, gave him a copy of my book, uh, which is about marriage and relationships, and I happened to have it, and sp- happened to have it. I printed and got it translated into Spanish, and ca- Carrie didn't happen to have it. I keep him with me and gave Mario a copy of this, and he read it. And re- next time I saw him, he's like, oh, wow, that book, you know, I really like it. I, he said, I'm still reading it. He said, so many young people really need it. And I found out later on, my wife and I went to see him at his apartment that I think he gave his life to Christ probably about seven years ago. Uh, what a, an amazing story. His wife uh, has had all kinds of uh, problems with cancer. She lives in Mexico. He hadn't seen her in, you know, like five or six, seven years. Uh, and his son's there too. But uh, just quite a testament how he works so hard. But anyway, just a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. So just loving the guys. You know, it's, we make evangelism so complicated. And we freak ourselves out. Well, let's, let's, you know, if I were to say this right now, okay, guys, we're all going to get up, go to our cars, and we're going to go to this apartment complex and knock on doors. How many of y'all would say, well, I just, I think something came up. I've got to, you know, <laughs> it would just scare you to death. It's, it kind of scares me. But, uh, you know, going over to see Mario, and then, and then I got to talk to Michael, who's the owner of the, he's from Sweden, and got to meet him. And, you know, just always pursuing in the back of my mind, this is where I want to go with them. I'm doing this for this. Paul said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. I think you were praying earlier about how there are a lot of things we can do and what sometimes we just start doing things. We don't even ask God, guys, this is what you want me to do today. And if it isn't, show me. Help me to start with what's on your heart today, God. I really want to wake up. What's on your heart is the world and people. And you want us to to love people. You want us to go and make disciples. Okay, well, how does what this today fit into this big picture thing? Often we start with the, you know, upside down with, well, this is what, you know, the main, you know, what's going on in my life, what's kind of the pressing need and current thing, and then we, we never get to the big picture of what, what's on God's heart and, and being faithful missionaries and faithful ambassadors for Christ. Okay, so moved into the neighborhood. Go ahead. My friend Robert, this was... Uh, he shared Christ while hunting. This is not Robert, by the way. Um, just found that picture. But uh, it says here in First Peter, uh, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in, within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. First Peter 3.15, be ready. Like being a good Boy Scout. Uh, I went dove hunting with Robert, and I... I'm looking around, you know, the hunt hadn't started. Should we go over here? Should we go over there? Where should we stand? And I'm getting all excited and thinking about the hunting. And Robert is, uh, met some uh, stranger, some other guys out there hunting. It was a, a public field, I think, where we could hunt. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear Robert talking to him about Christ. And I'm like, wait a minute, how'd that happen? We're not in a church building. It's not Sunday. How did that just, how did he <laughs> start this conversation? And he's sharing the gospel with this guy. I thought, wow, that's cool. You know why he did? Because he was ready. Christ, Christ was Lord in his heart. Jesus was first on his mind, not dove hunting. And then when he saw this guy, he realized, here's a precious life. It's either knows Jesus or he doesn't. He's going to heaven or, he, or hell. Here's a valuable soul. 
And so he wanted, so I don't know how he started the conversation exactly, but he was. And I was, I will never forget his example. Okay. My wife, Danelle, shared Christ while at a restaurant. And um, it was, uh, I forgot exactly how her conversation started, but uh, I, I believe that all of it starts in our heart. Isn't it interesting how we do what we really want to do, we do what we really like to do, and nobody makes us do it because we like to do it? And I think that's in Romans 10.1, Paul says, My heart's desire. Notice this. My heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. I don't do things I don't really want to do, usually. Unless, you know, unless I see there's a good reason to do it. But Paul, this, that was his desire. Why was it his desire? Because it was God's desire. See, you've got to start with the heart of God. If you feel like I just don't care about people and I don't want to love people, I'm scared of this, go back to the heart of God. Read John 3.16 again. For God so loved the world because He still loves the world. Read back over it. Renew your mind with truth. And that will motivate you. Paul said, the love of Christ controls me. The love of Christ motivates me, empowers me. Not the law, not guilt from my pastor, not because it's just part of this evangelistic program, but because it's the heart of God. So, my heart's desire and my prayer. If we really want something, don't you usually pray about it? <laughs> you want your <laughs> something that's important, we pray about it, Right? And the thing, and I could ask you, what are you praying for? And I'd say, well, those are the important things. Are there any unbelievers on that prayer? Hmm. Then how much do you really want people to be saved? Because what you're praying for is what you really want. That's where it starts. Because God, I can't save them. Lord, lead me to people that you've prepared. Give me boldness. Give me compassion. Help me be ready. Help me to have my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So I carry these books. I carry my testimony track. If you've never written your testimony track, highly recommend it. Everybody in your house church just about has written theirs. Great tools. Have tools. One guy said to D.L. Moody one time, he said, I don't like your method of evangelism after he'd spoken. And D.L. Moody said, well, what method do you have? And he said, well, I don't have one. And uh, D.L. Moody said, well, I like my method more than your method. <laughs> so... Don't get hung up on the methods, but have methods. Because, again, if you want to do something, what tools do you have in your toolbox? Write your personal testimony. It's, it's fantastic. So, Danelle, my wife, had written hers, and I, she probably uh, you know, gave it to somebody. I can't remember the exact details uh, in a restaurant and was able to share the gospel. Um, so, prepare. That's what I'm talking about. Prepare. Go through training. Read. You know, get equipped. Um, I've got a paper on how to write your personal testimony track. If you'll email me, I'll send you that thing, and, uh, and I can send you some examples of mine. I don't, left mine out in the car. Um, I'm not prepared. Um, and uh, Eric has written his, and uh, some of you guys know some of these folks. Um, and it's just really encouraging. It's personal. People are interested in it. Uh, very rarely do I get somebody say, no, I don't want that sometimes. But most people, yeah, thanks. I'd like to read. That's interesting. Uh, teamwork. I don't know what happened to teamwork over here. I think because I talk about... I, anyway, we're not in this alone. 
Your God has put you together, like a verse I mentioned earlier. Let's strive together for the sake of the gospel. Uh, no Lone Ranger Christians. You know, we're all we all have our. We need a Tonto. We need a, we need each we need each other. You know, Michael, I need him to help me with this, and he'll need me to help him with something. You know, you, we're all in this together, striving together to reach the lost. Follow up. Uh, you're looking for a person of peace. Uh, Jesus sent them out, and he said, "You know, find someone who is receptive." And focus on these. I found Mario. I found different people that uh, want to talk with me, that are open to the gospel, that uh, you know they don't uh, don't always get saved. This discovery Bible study is just a simple tool that you say, hey, "Can I come over to your house and read the Bible together and talk about you know?" And you just start with simple stories of the gospel and helping them understand. And we've done that with with Abiel. Uh, that Chet has yet to meet, but uh, he's uh, from Atlanta. He's a student here, a sophomore uh, here at UGA. And uh, I was able to see him just about a couple, two or three weeks ago. And I'm hoping to see him maybe today or tomorrow, but he's not a believer yet. But we've been to his parents' home and had Discovery Bible study with him and read passages of Scripture together on a real simple, you know, if an unbeliever can do it. But, uh, you know, follow up. If, if somebody's open, say, hey, like with Mario, went to his house and read the Bible with him and went through the gospel. Okay, and then persevere. This is probably the hard part. Galatians 6, I mean 4, 6. Let us not lose heart in doing good. In due time we'll reap if we don't grow weary. The devil does not want you to lead people to Christ. and it, You'll share the gospel with somebody. They might be open and then you try to get back with them. They can't reach them. They don't call you back. They don't text you. Well, they don't want to talk. And you start believing, well, they're not really interested may just be like Carolina who works at Chick-fil-A. She's, I saw her and she gave her a copy of my book in Spanish. She read it. She liked it. I've gotten to know her better. She's met several of my family members as we've gone over there because we intentionally go eat there so we can see her and get to know her better. And, uh, and yet she said there was a period there several weeks where nothing. I thought, well, I guess she doesn't want to talk anymore. No. She just lost her phone, you know. And so persevere. I don't mean be obnoxious. <laughs> I'll knock on their door every day. But, but don't give up. You know, be sensitive. But keep praying and don't give up. Okay. And a friend of ours, Kenyon, shared Christ while on a bus. And I'm giving you these illustrations just so that you can see incarnational evangelism is just, it's a lifestyle. Always be ready. Be looking. Be willing to interrupt your schedule, your life, your plans. You have to be. You know, Jesus interrupted and came from whatever He was doing in heaven with the Father to come here. So we have to be willing to be flexible, interrupted, uh, inconvenienced. And so Kenyon, this is not her on the bus. Let's just pick people on the bus. But this was in Ukraine. A missionary friend of ours, Kenyon Powers, overheard a a girl talking in English. Now, Kenyon doesn't speak Russian very well, so anytime she can talk to somebody in English, so she, she overheard, and obviously the girl was upset, and it was something about she was moving out of her apartment, and so she started talking with her and found out she didn't have a place to go, and she was living with this American predator uh, over there for a while, and she wasn't a believer, and this guy definitely wasn't a believer, and just really taking advantage of her. She was like you know, 18 years old, and... Um, Anyway, it was a mess. And, uh, but Kenyon said, 
Would you like to live with us? Would you like to stay with us for a while? Well, that kindness opened her heart. She, long story short, gave her life to Christ. Evelyn is her name. And uh, she's going on for Christ today. This was probably eight years ago or so. But Kenyon is not just riding the bus. She's looking for opportunities to love people. Evangelism is very simple. It's just loving people. <laughs> That's where it starts. It's not so much about communicating a message as communicating you care. Okay. Uh, and this is probably what I... When do we need to finish, Chet? Noon? Quarter till? Or what? Which? Yeah, all, all done by noon. We can have a couple, little time for Q&A. Okay, all right. Let's go through this. Who's a good reader? You guys, all of you all sounded great to me so far. Anybody want to read this passage for us? I want us to all look at it and think about it. But we, Okay, thank you. Yeah, you haven't had a chance yet. I like that, that eagerness, that zeal. I've been reading about Jehu, <laughs> the zeal of Jehu. His driving is kind of like a lot of people around Atlanta, like the driving of Jehu. You know? Yeah, good idea. I'll back up. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his cattle uh, enjoyed? Jesus replied, People soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. But the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to haul water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know a little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah will come the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Jesus then, uh, just then his disciples arrived. They were astonished to find him talking to a woman. But none of them asked him why he was doing it or what they had been discussing. The woman left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus to eat. No, one, no, he said, I have food you don't know about. Who brought it to him? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me and from finishing his work. Do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until the summer ends four months from now? Look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around us and are ready now for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one person plants and someone else harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and you will gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay at their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many of them to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe because we have heard him ourselves, not just because of what you told us. He is indeed the Savior of the world. At the end of the two days' stay, Jesus went on into Galilee. He had previously said, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own country. The Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen all his miraculous signs. In the course of his journey through Galilee, he arrived at the town of Cana. That's good. Oh, very good. Good, good reading. Thank you. So, there's so much in that passage that I don't have the time to go through it, but I encourage you to read back through it and uh, study it. When Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. How do you, what, what do you think was going on in her mind? Uh huh. Is there any more? You know, sometimes we communicate more than just what we say with our words. What? I don't want to give it away. What, what else? Exactly. Remember, the disciples came, he's talking to a woman. And she understood, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why are you talking to me? It was huge. So give me a drink meant a lot more than just I'm thirsty. What did it mean to her?
So she felt loved. What else? What another way to say that? She felt loved? I'm not saying this. That's, I just want to expound. Valued? Accepted? Acknowledged? Yeah, what? Somebody cares? You're clicking. It's good. See, it meant a lot more than just, I'm thirsty, I need some water. He was a man. He was a Jew. He was humbling himself in her mind, and she knew it. The disciples knew it. Hey, do they not know you're talking to this woman? She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She felt respected. She felt, felt honored. And what does that do? A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. A man's gift, it sincere love and respect opens the heart. You can't hardly read it, so teeny. <laughs> opens hearts to the gospel. I'll have to go back and edit some of this stuff so you can see it. But a man's gift, you know, and I, I, I did it unconditionally. <laughs> give, give Hiro a little some of my honey, you know. Give him the book. Give him and pray for him. All those are. But if you love people and you care, give gifts. And it just opens them. I mean, that's what you guys are doing, uh, whether it's counseling or, or physical needs or things like that. You know, why did Jesus heal and cast on them all that? Because He was going to the real issue, their heart. He wanted them to be open. He wanted to see God cares about you. And when He just, these little words, give me a drink, it, it literally probably blew her away because she was wide open. You know, she was a little evasive there. Oh, I don't have any husband. You know, wait a minute, you've had five and the guy you're living with, so he didn't, you know, let her off the hook. But she wasn't defensive in the sense like, you know, no, I don't want to hear this or walk away or she was open. She trusted him because he humbled himself. And that's the way we need to be before unbelievers. As one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Not as, look, I've got all the answers and hopefully someday you'll be as good as I am. You know, good luck. You know? <laughs> someday you'll be as spiritual. That was, that was the Pharisees, you know. We just need to come with humility and say, you know, Hiro, I've got something that's awesome and I want you to have it. And I didn't earn it. It's the free gift of God. And you can't earn it. No matter how hard you try, God's not asking you to, to do that because then you're saying you don't need a Savior. And what he did on the cross was not enough. So anyway, we had that conversation. But um, this passage is just amazing to me. Um, how, uh, how Jesus opened your, her heart. And that's, just want to encourage you all to do that. To sincere, you know, like Zig Ziglar said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. So it's not, you're not trying to win an argument, you know, beat them in, into submission, you know, answer, I mean, certainly answer their questions, but it's not about, you know, your, it's not about their mind doesn't separate them from God. Your sin has made a separation between you and your God. So don't fall into the trap of arguing with unbelievers and abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Don't get into arguments. If you find yourself going down that road, avoid it. A good way to do it is just say, if I were to answer all of your questions satisfactorily, would you give your life to Christ? 
If Jesus is God, just hypothetically, He's God, He's the only way to heaven, He died on the cross for you, and you need Him to be your Savior, would you give your life to Him? And they say, no, then say, you know, you don't have an intellectual problem, you have a heart problem. But if they say yes, say, well, you know, there's hope for you. <laughs> there's hope. So, okay, do you think we can watch this clip? Um, uh, oh, yeah, let's, I don't know, we guess. Anyway, I just shared the gospel while I was in Tanzania while I was out running and met people. But the fields are ripe. Expect opportunities because you're praying for them. If you want it, you're praying for it and you're looking for them. See, most of us don't go out, you know, there's probably countless opportunities to love unbelievers, but we're just self-centered. <laughs> so expect opportunities. Go out of your way. Give gifts and serve. We've covered that. Okay. Does it, this is next one. Okay. Have you guys all seen Schindler's List? Most of y'all? It's, um, it's a hard movie to watch. It, um, it's, a good, it's a very good movie, but it's, a very, it's not a Christian movie. But I, I just wanted to watch this last clip because um, Schindler has devoted his life. He, he basically is a, a businessman who was taking advantage of the war to make money, and then he just, <laughs> I don't know, God got a hold of his heart. Uh, something happened in his heart where he started valuing people, the Jews that were being exterminated. Um, and uh, this is at the end of his life. He's leaving, and he has re- literally, this is a true story, rescued because of what he did hundreds and hundreds of lives. And you can actually go online and see the people, you know, the, uh, uh, pictures of these people that owe their lives to him. And uh, so it's profound, but at the very end, they're giving him this ring. They give him a, a, a token, a gold ring, and he's, he just, I don't know, I can't tell, he, um, I have to set it up for you, but he just breaks down and says, Some, I could have done more. I could have done more. Why, why didn't this ring, this car, I could have used that to, to get more people their freedom. He just breaks down and starts crying. He looks at his car. I said it could have you know, used his car and sold the car and helped more people have their freedom. But the guy said there were 1,100 people. He said, look at them all right here because of your life. And uh, this isn't me- meant to like guilt us into something, but more just how he valued life, that God values life, and um, that the love of Christ might control us more and empower us. Uh, so any questions? comments. That's pretty sobering, that last, last clip. Um, I, I think God wants you to really enjoy uh, the privilege of being an ambassador for Christ, the privilege of telling people, and uh, have fun. Uh, my son, Matt, and I, one time we were out walking. I meet him once a week, and we talk about our lives and pray for each other, and we go walk around the whatever restaurant, and we usually go in the back, someplace where we don't get run over by cars. So we're walking around behind this restaurant, and there are a couple of other buildings there, so, and uh, this guy comes out, he's emptying the trash, young African-American guy, uh, good-looking guy, and he uh, comes out, and he's going to go over and empty the trash, and I'm, Matthew and I are praying, so I didn't really plan to stop or anything, and I just pulled out my testimony track, which I keep with me, and, and uh, as we're walking past him and he's going to the dumpster, I said, hey, can I give you this, something like that, you know, this is the story of how God changed my life. And he looked at me and he said, well, how did God change your life? <laughs> and so for the next 15 minutes, Matthew and I had a great conversation with him. But the neat thing about it was we were just 
we were laughing. I mean, this is, and we were talking about serious stuff, but just relaxed and laughing together, having a great time, and, and still communicating truth. We weren't all uptight, you know, and it was just because it was in our hearts and we were just sharing from our heart that, about this person, Jesus, that we know who loves this guy and died for him and just, you know, answering his asking questions. It was a discussion. It wasn't us just talking. It was a great, and it was fun. And I think, you know, that's the way God, not, not that it's always going to be fun or easy, but I think a lot of times we just go to this over here like, I've got to, you know, pray about this for six months and then go over there. Well, just and talk to my neighbor and say, you know, ask him, are you saved? You know, instead of just go over and, hey, I just wanted to bring you some cookies. Or, you know, you're out, how are you doing? You know, I know you had a, had to go see the dentist and get a root canal. How's, how's that tooth doing, you know? Just, again, showing people you really care because that builds bridges and it just helps you relax and just really sincerely care about people. But this is where you want to go. So learn your story, your personal story. Be able to share your testimony. You look at Paul did that over and over again. Uh, write it down. It's a great tool. It's just a tool. It's not the answer, but it's a, you know, and it just, what if it doesn't do anything for unbelievers, it does, but it helps you be thinking about the gospel. And, uh, and then, you know, you'll probably make sure you tip that person if you stay at a restaurant. <laughs> well, and you'll just be, you'll, you know, you'll start learning how to engage people and be friendly um, with whoever you're around. So any questions, comments? What do you think keeps you guys from actually being more incarnational in evangelism? What are yourself? What do you mean? Hold on a second. What do you mean? What do you mean by that specifically? Oh, I think it's just like what you were saying earlier. Uh, we're really selfish, mm-hmm. really one-minded, and I yeah. take care of me. All right. I, I think our culture reflects that too. We're, we're really individualistic culture. Right. Love them and care about them. But it's so easy to neglect them. My wife would say that, that our, relation, our, our evangelism and care about unbelievers all starts with our relationship with God. So if I'm really connecting with God, having a good quiet time and walking in the Spirit and really enjoying God, you just can't keep it in. Kind of, you know, be a river of living water in us, you know, overflowing. And it just... So if you're enjoying Jesus... Evangelism is an overflow of that. Overflow like we started with his heart. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, 
Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go to church on Thursday. I didn't, I didn't say anything after that because I didn't know what to say. Right. Good. I appreciate your honesty. Most people won't go to church. Most people have a, you know, for whatever reasons, and they're some good, some bad, they're not going to. So that's the whole beauty of incarnational evangelism is what's attractional is you, hopefully. Hopefully they see the joy, the kindness, the love of Jesus in you. And you are out among them, and you don't have to say, well, let's come go to this service with me because, you know, you're speaking another language or they've had a bad experience. Another language, what I mean is a church language. You know, they don't know where John is. They they feel real awkward and out of place. But so you're going with them. Go to lunch. Go to, you know, hey, you like to play tennis. Let's play tennis. Find out what they like to do and do it with them. And, and, uh, And then just share your story. Hey, can I tell you? Uh, and you don't have to, you know, wait for the, it's a hypothetical, or it's a, what's the word? Uh, when you really, rhetorical. rhetorical. <laughs> you, know, you do mean it, but you don't And you just share your testimony, in, you know, three minutes, not a long 30-minute version. And the whole purpose of sharing your testimony is to find out, are they ready to hear the gospel? Are they, and if they're saying, wow, that's cool, you know, you know, I think I might want to know God someday. And you say, well, let me show you how. And then you can go out and actually draw out or describe exactly in more detail, use the bridge diagram or different things to describe to somebody exactly what they, you know, uh, need to do, who Jesus was, who they are. You go into more detail using verses. But your testimony is just kind of a little seed out there. You're throwing a little bait out there to see if they take it. Um, but, uh, yeah, you could say, you know, I'd love to tell you sometime about how you know Christ changed my life, and uh, it's not. And just be upfront. Hey, it's not about going to church; it's about knowing God personally through Christ and have a relationship with Him. And and also, I think just just being honest. Say, look, being real. You know, I had a lot of problems in my life, and I, I'm <laughs> just be transparent. You know, I had problems with pornography. I argued with my parents. I hated my own brother and fought with him. And and Jesus said, if you call somebody a fool, you're just as guilty. And so if you come across that way, real, honest, that I, you used to be a sinner, <laughs> but now you're, God, by God's grace, you're, you're forgiven.